Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Salas, and with me, as always, is my very, very talented friend who is a true trailblazer. She may or may not do it while sporting beaver pelts and coonskin hats. She is the mixtress DC, Gina. Did <laughs> <laughs> you get some of my, high, my college photos? I feel like you might have. <laughs> I almost said high school, college, whatever. Hi, Louise. Hey. All right. You ready for this? No. Okay. okay here I we go. I think the quiz is good. No, no quiz. This one's, this oh. one's a good one. Oh, right, okay. I think you're going to quiz me. That was the quiz face. Yeah. Was it? Did I give you the quiz face? Yeah. So I was like, I'm like, oh. Maybe I'm just being inquisitive. Oh. All right. Okay. Here we go. All right. I got a little ditty for you. You ready? It's an early morning. The humidity is thick, and yet the air still has a bit of a chill to it. The date is May 14th, 1804. And two brave men, two very brave men, named Meriwether and William, are preparing to embark on an adventure that will go on to chisel their names in American history. Without the help of Google Maps, weather apps, or even roads sprinkled with crackle barrels waiting for them at every exit, they will face the daunting task of exploring uncharted territories with limited resources and no knowledge of what lay ahead. What they do have is a sense of purpose and a commitment to bravely explore, to map new territories, and to establish a trade route to the Pacific. They will embrace the unknown and navigate through numerous challenges, all the while never asking, are we there yet? <laughs> That's what my kids say. <laughs> so, it's amazing to think about how Lewis and Clark navigated through unknown territory and overcame so many obstacles. And their story, it can motivate just about anybody to embrace the unknown and to pursue their dreams, don't you think? Yes, but one of them died psychotically oh, and, well, like, and got robbed by the other. Oh, that's crazy. I don't know that story. Oh, yeah, Losing Clark was a very dark story. It is, but, they're, but the part that we know they, about in his, that we learned in fifth grade history so is... So is our, is, our, is our guest today <laughs> the, the thief we don't or know. the crazy? I'm I don't very know. excited. Let, let's find out. Let's find out because... <laughs> Her story is also one of trailblazing. She's blazed her own trail by turning her love of food, finance, and startups into flourishing venture capital fund. Please welcome the founder and managing director of Mokja Ventures, Elaine Chong Baker. Welcome to the show, Elaine. And if I said butchered any of that, please fix it for me. Okay. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Hello. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Yes. A murderer or an adventurer? That's what Maybe like a little know. bit of both. Yes. Maybe all of the above. Give yes. her time. Yes. She's, she's a young woman. You never know. I've got three kids, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> someone's got to go. Yeah. Either someone's going to go or if someone crosses them. There you go. Maybe we cut that out. Because <laughs> I just read that story of the, the, the woman that wrote the book about how she how to murder your husband, and then she got arrested for murdering her husband. Excuse me. She wrote a book about how to... No, I don't cut any of this out. She wrote the book about how to grieve if your husband's been oh, murdered oh, for right. her children, and then they arrested her two years later for the murder of her husband. Oh, my goodness. That is correct. Also... That's pretty. That's pretty ballsy. If I sit there, I'm like, I don't know. It's a little bit of grief. <laughs> I mean, come on. Self therapy, right? She just did her own therapy. Yes, yes. <laughs> Maybe she's the healthiest of all of us. 
I do love you, Neil. I wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> no, you might want to edit that part out. But uh, I love Neil. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, I was like, honey, we're not going to cut that out. We are not. <laughs> we are good people here. <laughs> Um, all right, so we want to know what you're doing, um, but please, will you, I, you shared this with me, it's great. Will you please share how your life of uh, being a rebel began? Can <laughs> we go back to your childhood? Well, uh, well, let's just start with, like, you know, our family story, because yeah. I think that's what gives you some context. context about, like, the immigrant story and, like, how I may or may have not followed the traditional path, but my parents, um, who are Korean, came over to the United States with two suitcases, two kids, and $300. Wow. And they started a life here in the United States, not knowing any English. Or my parent, my dad knew some English. My mom had very little English. And so um, just like a lot of stories that you hear, she watched a lot of TV to try to learn. I think she was watching soap operas, but was so disturbed by like the love entanglements. <laughs> so she stopped watching. I think ended up watching Sesame Street with my, my sisters. My older sisters. I um, learned uh, English from Woody Woodpecker. My father came, you yeah. know, I'm first generation there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, nowadays yeah. everyone tells us that they learn English from watching Friends. And I was like, this is the problem with America. <laughs> <laughs> One of many. <laughs> um, and so and so I um, actually turned out to be number three of seven girls. Wow. Um, not a single boy, but I mean, why do we have seven girls? Is because there was never a son born. So. I always grew up knowing that I wasn't a boy and I wasn't, you know, and none of my sisters were boys. So we always were in our heads were thinking like, okay, how do we prove to our parents that we are better than a boy? Um, and so, um, and so we, you know, it was just a thing that we grew up with. And so when they talk about like, you know, uh, women's rights and feminism, I'm like, oh no, that was just our life growing up. <laughs> it was like, there was no, like, no, nothing to challenge us other than ourselves. And yeah. so, um, and so, you know, like every good, you know, Korean kid, I got a scholarship to university. Of course you did. And <laughs> I chose to uh, study chemical engineering because I was like, where can I make, if I have to go to school, where can I make the most money? I was like, chemical engineering. Well, I realized after the first year that I didn't really like this. <laughs> and then in the second year, I truly believed that this was not the place for me. So I took a field trip uh, to an oil refinery because that's what good chemical engineers do is work in oil refineries. And I realized like that was the most horrific thing I could imagine doing in my life. And then I realized, like after talking to my parents, that they would not let me quit school. They wouldn't even like allow me to think about like changing some to something else because they were just like, just finish, just finish, just finish. Yeah. Like you're just giving up early. And so I decided that I would fail out of college because I had to find a way to never go back. Wow. <laughs> so, Yes. That's an extreme measure. I did not know that. Oh, yes. That's what I did. Because I knew if I still, like, was successful enough, I mean, like, I think I, I think you fail at 1.8, a GPA of under 1.8, like, you get kicked out. 1.7. Oh, 1.7. <laughs> Academic probation's at 1.9 to 1.8. Oh, uh, okay. And then you're out at 1.7. Okay, so, um, so I was <laughs> I just was, like... I, was, I had academic <laughs> probation for one semester when they told me I had to go back to Long Island. I said, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I don't want to go back to Long Island. Well, I was just like, <laughs> I have to get out. And so I made sure I, 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 I failed in style. Um, and so, um, and funnily enough, during that summer, 
a letter came from the university saying, oh, you know, we actually miscalculated your GPA because you were taking honors classes, so you actually can come back. And I ripped up the letter. <laughs> and I, I didn't tell my mom until maybe two years ago. During the pandemic, I think we reveal all these secrets to our, like, our family members. We're like, oh my gosh, I want to tell you this really quick. Um, and my mom was so disappointed, <laughs> even after all these years. Um, <sighs> But she just, exactly. she just, I mean, as you know, as an immigrant family, you know, education was the solution to success. Yeah. Like, if you get an education, you can do whatever you want. Um, and I proved that wrong. Um, and so, um, yeah, funnily enough, my parents live with me. Out of all the seven, all, out of all the seven girls, my parents chose to live with me and my kids. Um, so sometimes you have wonderful children. That's why. Well I, well, I think they are good kids. They're really good kids. I mean, they're cool kids, right? Yeah, they're like they're laid super back, cool too. easy going. But I also think, like, wonder where they get that from. Her daughter's an amazing artist. <laughs> yes, for sure. yes. I did a little but I, I think sometimes my parents wanted to stay with me because they were just keeping an eye on me to make sure <laughs> I didn't fuck up the kids. <laughs> That's just a side thought. <laughs> I'm sure it's not true. <laughs> Although I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, You'll right? Like, what is she going to do now? No, what could she quit? Yeah. <laughs> what I mean, what would she tell them to do? We'll stay here. <laughs> well, so, um, so, yeah, so then that began like this, like this ongoing journey of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and weirdly enough, I started working for an environmental engineering firm as a temporary, like, a temp. Employee. Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, the temporary employee. I thought that was like what the was best. What was the name of that? Kelly. Kelly Temporary yeah, Services. Yeah, yeah. That's who I worked for, and um, and I worked in the marketing group. And it was kind of like, oh, cool. I'm in this like environmental engineering firm. I I know about environmental engineering. Well, then a year after having a really horrific boss, um, um, she was horrific. I mean, but that taught me a lot about like how you manage people. Um, I got moved into the air quality group, and I began to do. Bits of chemical engineering. <laughs> you that couldn't get away weird. from it. Oh, which I was like, oh, this is so weird. Then I was like, wait, you can learn anything on the job. Like, you don't have to have, and we didn't even have the internet back then because this was wow. 93. Yeah. 1993, kids. Um, and so. The but, dark ages. Yeah, so we could, <laughs> I could do whatever they told me to do. They just taught me, and then I started training uh, Air Force bases on um, an air quality database that, you know, we, it was it was this insane time of travel and learning for me, but I loved it. And then um, and then I realized, OK, um, on to the next thing. And so I ended up working in telecom and global global telecom for a company called Iridium. And once again, started from the bottom and then and Iridium then, phones, Iridium phones. Oh, yeah. That's, so the reason I know that is because they're satellite phones and Dave used to call me from them from Afghanistan. Oh, yes, mm -hmm. that was us. Yeah. There was a really cute story about an Iridium phone. There was um, a guy in the Antarctic um, who had a phone, and every week he would make a call at the same time every week. And so, but one week he didn't make the call, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, like he didn't make the call. Like, is he okay? <laughs> and it, and they, they, so they decided, because they were so concerned, that I think they had a vested interest in the well-being of this person who was, who was all alone, and um, they, did a customer service call, like, hi, we'd just like to check on your service, see if you're enjoying the product. And um, and he was okay. Oh, that's <laughs> so, good. <laughs> but it was it was cute because back then it was such early days with technology that, you know, this was so cutting edge and so important to 
how we communicate now, um, it was one of the best jobs I ever had in my life. Um, oh, and so that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I ended up working. Um, I ended up becoming a project manager and working with Mexico, Germany, Brazil, and North America, which is Arizona. And so I got to travel all over the world. <laughs> wow! And, and got to be part of something that you know was so like cutting edge back then. Yeah, really cutting edge. And now we kind of take tech for granted. Yeah, you know. But oh, unless it fails you. Yes. <laughs> yes. I when, remember when I, tech I don't know. fails you, your life falls apart. Were all cellular phones called that? No. The ones no. you used to carry with the, it's a bag, with the case? Yeah, with the battery a, It was a bag phone, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I remember going out for the first time ever when I was in my 20s and I had like a big hunking phone. <laughs> like, like, but I was <laughs> like, look how cool I am. I have a phone. <laughs> I have a giant phone. Yeah, I have a giant phone, I'm boys. Gonna, I'm going <laughs> to <I'm gonna> call <laughs> that pay phone over there. So go over there and I'm gonna, it's going to cost me $11, but I'm going to call you. And call my you. battery lasts for three hours <laughs> yeah, and it exactly. weighs 85 pounds. <laughs> I remember the, the, the cellular phone. My brother had a phone like that. We, and he drove in my, my girlfriend's house and he's like, got to call. I'm like, I'm outside your house. And he's like, hang up. I'm like, okay. And she came outside and he's like, oh my God. You have I mean, I was, I, I was in high school. It was, but it was like the coolest thing. I mean, yeah. we really, I mean, like I, I do, I, I think I heard a commercial on the way here actually. And it was like, oh, they were talking about like, oh, in my day we did this, in my day we did this. And then there was like, you know, finally it's like this old lady saying, well, in my day, we had like the phone and it was attached to a wall and it had a cord and then <laughs> yeah. and then an even older woman says well back in the day i wrote letters yeah. and um and then the kid on the on the commercial goes oh that's the original texting and i was like well nothing that long <laughs> i wrote that's the original texting are you kidding me no. i think it, i know it's crazy did you see they're remaking and this is nothing to do anything they're remaking discman can you even Yes, there's a a new surge. It'll last for like four seconds of the, the disc, disc, the old, the old the Walkman. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, going yeah. back to not their, the tape, the disc. Yeah. Okay, which is no, probably I, good. they're doing the tape too. They're doing okay. them both. They want I to bring this, back that bright yellow thing. I need the resurgence to happen because I probably have like ten boxes of CDs in my garage. You've kept yours, but I because I can't throw them away because it's like, oh, I love this band. Oh, it's New Order. <laughs> the, the, the one I got, and then this is you know like the Metallica like. Dual you know you can put it on your computer, right? I know, no, no, music. I know, no, I keep the music, but it's like there's like a. A sense of nostalgia with the right. actual, you know, the CD case and yeah. the CD insert. I got rid of mine some time <laughs> You're ago. Shaking your head. Yeah, I got rid of mine. I am the worst. Although I do collect records. I don't know. I like records. It's, it's, all right, so CDs are the same thing, really, right? Records just sound worse. Um, literally, we, like I love the commitment to listening to one whole album. I know. Like you don't have a choice. No, it's nice. It's great, right? I thought you prove you don't have ADD. Because oh. you can listen to an entire album and not take it off. Or but you have to flip the record, then you think maybe you don't. Like or it. you actually do and you just don't hear it anymore because yeah. you're doing 84 other things. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm. it just becomes background. Because you're not really just sitting there just watching the record, I'm assuming. Unless you're stoned. <laughs> well, <there. laughs> Hold on. Hold on. There's that. Okay. Maybe that's the next, like, test. Yes. Wait a minute. 
maybe I am. I don't know. It's like in those mushrooms again. <laughs> Sometimes I just look at it and I'm like, I don't know. Um, I do love the records. Sometimes like, we throw in a record, it's best. Anyway, that's why I'm getting off topic. That's funny. <laughs> that's the purpose of the show, I think. What? To smoke weed? No, to get oh. off get off subject. Oh. <laughs> oh, like, what? Like, that's a different show. But okay, I'll, I'll be on that show too. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't do well on that show. I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> You're gonna be the moderator. Yeah. I'll be the only I'll be the only non-stone person there. You're I'll the be only person talking. I'll be staring at you. I'll be tipsy. I'll be like, yeah. I don't know what she's saying. It's funny though. I'll just like look at her. Anyway, sorry. Oh, keep going. I don't know. So fresh, yeah. You know, so we? <laughs> we we're we're doing iridium phones. So how did? What, so then what's you have the next? job there, the cutest job ever, and then oh, and then I met my husband. Oh, at, at a couple jobs later, but it was just like iridium ended up filing for bankruptcy, and then um, I ended up um, going into another job, and then another job because everyone in telecom it was like boom, and yeah. then there's a lot of bust. Yep. And so, um, oh, I had a kid too. I had oh yeah, I had my daughter um, in between. Um, and then at my last telecom job, you know, I was like, well, is telecom so great? Um, I ended up meeting my husband, um, who was from England. And so um, he got you with that accent, didn't he? Actually, you know, it was really weird <laughs> because I was so deeply single that. When I was supposed to meet him at the elevator to let him into the building because we were so secure, you know, and so I was like, oh, okay. And I was just laughing to myself. Oh my gosh, wouldn't it be hilarious if this is my future husband? You did not say I that. I did. In really? my head, I was laughing so hard to myself because I was like, that's so funny. I love being single. <laughs> that's hilarious. And, um, and, um, and needless to say, from the day we met to the day we got married, it was like about a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. It was fast. It was that fast. fast. But it was great, um, and then I moved to London, um, and so started a London life, um, which was like one of the best experiences of my life too. Yeah. It was just, is to be in a different country that speaks English, which was nice, you know. But it was our first time, and you know, to raise Julia in in the UK um, was phenomenal. So we were there from two thousand one to two thousand seven. Oh, nice! And That's I, a long time. Yeah, and yeah. I had a son on. So everyone talks about national health care. You know, like, why don't we have national health care in the U.S.? It's great when it works. And then when you have a baby and you have a C-section and you deliver and then you end up being put in a room with four other women or three other women, it's traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, and you have midwives that are yelling at you and... And that was not fun. Um, and you, were, I, I, somehow I was in the bed next to the window, and there were no curtains in the window. And so I looked out, and there's like all the neighbors just doing their things in their apartments <laughs> across in their flats across the way. And so I ended up putting, we ended up putting, um, not me, uh, newspapers on the windows. Oh. And then because it was such a horrific experience, I checked myself out of the hospital. Wow. Yeah. Not like, not, not, this is not medical advice. Do not do this, you know. Um, but I figured if something happened, I would just come back in because it's the NHS. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I had a um, nine pound, uh, 12 wow. ounce son. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So she was yelling at me for not like lifting him up and changing him. I'm like, I can't lift. I just had a C section. Wow. So it was, it was one of those things where you're just like, I'm grateful that we had that kind of like availability for healthcare in general, but then at the same time, having had a, a baby in the U.S. and had a, a very nice you know experience at Fairfax Hospital to be 
all of a sudden be thrown in this. It was, yeah, it was yeah. very tough. Um, that well, was a 10-pound baby? Yeah. Oh, my God. He's now, like, six feet tall. So I yeah. was like, wow. I'm glad you grew into that. <laughs> yeah. You're like, um, you almost killed me. Like, so yeah. you should move in with him. Yeah. 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 So the, uh, I pick you. If you almost killed me, now I'm going to kill you. You owe me. Are we back to Merriweather? Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe you will get there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, so we lived in London. Um, I mean, life is great until, like, until things don't go well and, and you happen to maybe get divorced. And so um, divorce happened in 2013. And so... Um, that was kind of the beginning of something that I never expected to happen. Um, I already had an investment in a distillery, Catoctin Creek Distillery oh. in Percival, Virginia. Yes, so yes, we, we've um, had them on the show. Yeah, we just yeah. made a drink today with them. We could talk with Watershed. Yes. Oh, yeah, Watershed Gin. Yes, right? we did. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, fantastic. I mean, but not even knowing anything about distilling or anything about alcohol. I was just like that, you know, when we were married, I'm like, that is the right um that's the right investment we need to make into this couple. It wasn't like, oh, I'm, I love their whiskey. This is what I'm investing in. It was more like I'm investing in the team. But I didn't know anything. I even said to my husband at the time, I was like, oh, you do the paperwork. But I know this is the right thing. And, you know, move along. <laughs> like, next. Um, and same thing with the f- first restaurant investment we had, too. I knew it was, like, something that was going to be important um, in the time. And um, didn't even bother sitting in the negotiations or anything. Once again, I was like, you take care of it. I know this is the right thing. <laughs> well, wow. Yeah, a little bit crazy. Um, but, you know, I had, by that time we had three kids and, um, and I was kind of living the suburban mom life and just trying to survive every day with three children. <laughs> and, and maybe brush her hair. Yeah, and, you know, just, you know, just... Um, just general living, because I think the boys were, yeah, the boys were young. They were four and six. No. I don't know how they all were there. Four and six. Let's go with yeah. four and six. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, and so um, and so, so when the divorce happened, the restaurant wasn't open yet, and um, I went into the, to the chef, and I said, hey, can I help out? And he was like, you're supposed to be a silent investor, da-da-da, you're not supposed to be in here, you know. And I was like, okay, that's cool, like, I get it, like, I totally understand that. I go, but is there anything, you know, you're opening in a month, what can I do to help you? Like, can I paint, can I screw furniture together? Yeah. I was like, I don't know what you do. I mean, I've never even worked in a restaurant before and took a restaurant wow. investment. So this is also a little bit, like, not the typical things that people do. Um, and I finally saw him one day, uh, putting all the invoices into QuickBooks. And I said, oh, I can help you with QuickBooks. And he just kind of laughed at me. I was like, no, no, don't laugh at me. I was the PTA treasurer for two years <laughs> at the elementary school. I know QuickBooks. <laughs> and he said, okay, fine. Um, fine. I'll, yeah. la- I'll follow what I do, and then, and then we'll see how you do. And I was like, okay, I can enter. In- like, I was like, yeah. I can do this. And so what turned into like um, entering invoices turned into basically learning the restaurant industry from the back office. Wow. And so, so, I, so I got the chance to actually understand like the financial side versus you know, the hospita- hospitality side or the service side or the, you know, the kitchen side. I was in the back office. And, um, and that, was, that was something that you know, I couldn't have learned in any other way, shape, or form. No one's going to yeah. teach you in school. 
Uh, not that I would go, but, yeah. like, but at least <laughs> I, I think you've already established that part. <laughs> I have a hard time sitting and listening to someone for long periods of time. I realize that, like when it's like a, maybe it's like this rebellion in me that's always like, oh, someone's trying to tell me something, and I. <laughs> but, um, but it was it was great to be able to learn this. And then I got to work the floor one night when no one else was available in the entire world. They let me um, be the floor manager um, for one night. And it was great. I mean, I, but, you know, it makes you realize how hard it is to keep everyone happy yeah. in a restaurant. You yeah. know? And so I really appreciated what I saw with everyone working there. Um, you know, and then from what I learned, I mean, the restaurant industry is, has like some of the hardest working people in the world. Absolutely. You know, and to work so hard with with no health insurance in most cases, low oh, yeah. pay, you know, it, and and very demanding customers and a lot of assholes out there too. Yep. It's, you know, it makes you go, okay, you know, we have to be really grateful for the opportunities that we have to dine out. The willingness that people are trying to open up restaurants again and again, you know. And give you their food and hope yeah. for the best. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now with technology, too, I mean, in Yelp and all these different platforms of, of how you can complain whatever, without having to talk to a human yeah. being. That passive-aggressive crap. Yeah, it's frustrating, you know, because, you know, when it's going well, it's going well. And when it's not going well, then it's really tricky. Um, yeah. And so, so I did gain a massive appreciation for the industry, which then, of course, led to... The next part of my life. <laughs> Speaking of tricky, uh, let's do it. Let's do a little. Let's do a little um, tip today. Tip let's today. do it. We got tip, tip, tiptoeing mm -hmm. through the mm -hmm. tulip tips. Yeah. All yes. right, let's do it. So, did you know I knew a magic trick? Well, I do. It's very, very simple. It's the easiest way to clean passion fruit you could ever use. The frozen aisle. This is probably one of the best products you can get. Very, very, very simple. And it's already done for you. And they're bite-sized pieces of passion fruit. And if you've ever tried to clean passion fruit, it's really hard. So I use this all the time as a trick. Um, sometimes I can't get it out, so I'm gonna just use my old trusty knife and open up the bag. So far, so hard, right? So this is available pretty much anywhere. So it's kind of like a passion fruit puree. So really what you wanna do is you wanna strain this off. And if it's really good passion fruit, which this is, it should be a really beautiful puree. And you're saying, why passion fruit, right? Well, let me tell you, passion fruit is your substitute for lemon and like that acidic taste, as well as this really perfumey, beautiful um, flavor profile. And the reason why I double strain it back into the bowl is because I don't want that in my drinks. If I was making a different kind of like, say an acai bowl or a curry or something like that, and I was gonna cook with it, totally different. Doesn't matter if it's in there. I, you all know me, you've all been here with me. I do not drink the salads in my drink. So you're gonna double strain it, leaving this beautiful puree, and then we're gonna use this in a cocktail. That simple. It's the season of the passion fruit. It couldn't get any easier, could it? Cheers. Well, that was fun, Gina. Right? Now, see how easy it is to use passion fruit? Never would have thought. Like, you think you have to clean it, do all this stuff, whatever. No, they did it all for you. You go to the frozen aisle, you buy the fresh cut, cleaned, perfect passion fruit, no fuss, no mess, boom, use the puree. I think I'm a little less apt to, like, stain my clothes this way. Um, that, Maybe. mostly, for me, it's the goo of it. Yeah. Yeah, this is nice and clean. 
So where are they gonna go to get that tip? You're gonna go to Designated Drinking Hot Show, and you can also watch me in action open one bag <laughs> at, on Instagram at Designated Drinker. But the way you open it, no one can do it like you, Gina. I mean, literally, I just jam that knife and zip that bag open. There you go. It's good. There you go. No, <laughs> <laughs> you can get some uses out of it. All right, if you oh uh, didn't catch that address, which is designateddrinker.show, you can always go to our episode notes. Just scroll down on your phone. Make sure there's hot links to um, the, the website, which will get you to all of Gina's amazing cocktail recipes. Um, make sure that you get um, our Insta connect. And uh, if you want to get Elaine's home phone number, we'll make sure that's there, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yes, use the home phone number because it doesn't exist. <laughs> the Iridium phone. No. <laughs> I do have I do have an Iridium phone, uh, one of the old ones. Oh, that um, would be fun. We somehow, my, so funnily enough, it was me and two of my sisters working in Iridium all at the same time. Does not work. Yeah, but when you have a company that big and like and you it works. The yeah. phone still works. Oh no, the phone doesn't work at all. No, no the uh, phone doesn't work uh, at all. Uh, it's more like a replica. Like yeah. it's like a museum got piece. It, got it. Yeah. Got it. And so, um, and my dad even wears like the old Iridium jacket. Oh, that's um, funny. Yeah, because it's, it's it was good quality back then. <laughs> oh my god, that's so cute. Stop it! I really love it. That's yeah. gonna be the next person on the show. Yeah, Elaine's father. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, he would be like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love the face. I know. <laughs> We took them to the White House on Saturday for the, there was an open house, and so my parents, you know, have never been in the White House in the 53 years that they've been here in the United States. Wow! And it, they were so tickled to be there. Of course, yeah, there's a lot of waiting and you know there's security, but once they they were in there, they're like, oh wow, like it was so cute. It was really cute. That is cute. The White House tour is a good. Uh, I, honestly, it's very it's it's fun. I like the White House tour. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's going to bring us to the end of part one, Gina. Oh. End of part one. Uh, with, goodbye, Elaine. No, not yet. It's the end of part one. We've got a whole nother, we have part two to get to, but. Okay. All right. So this is going to be the end, like I said, part one with designated drinker, founder, and managing director of Mocha Ventures, Elaine Chong Baker. But if you're anything like me or Gina, one round is just never enough. So go ahead, go top off that cocktail and get ready for part two. See, there's a part two, Gina. Um, of this episode as we continue our boozy banter and Gina's gonna share a cocktail recipe that is sure to bring the trailblazer out of all of us. Aren't ya? Uh, yeah. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a Latino-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, we craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcast is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to follow, download, and review the shows. Your reviews help our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.